And this is the final week of that six-week series, Make a Good Decision to Make the Decision Good. I'm excited to kind of cap it off, and uh, I can't wait to share with you the message today. Uh, But before I do, I want to talk about next week. We're starting a new sermon series. It's three weeks long. And uh, it kind of came about through a conversation with the weekend team. And we're looking ahead, and our anticipation is that sometime, probably this summer, uh, our leadership will have identified a candidate that you as members will uh, make a decision on to be the new lead pastor at CLC. And uh, once they're here, I'll ride shotgun for about six months to help them learn the ropes. I'll hand off the reins to that person. Uh, We'll take a bit of a sabbatical and then come back and be part of CLC, and I'll have some kind of lesser role to help the new pastor out. Uh, but as a team, I say, you know, guys, this is, we're in the last season where we're totally deciding where we're going with weekends. And they said, well, is there anything you feel like you want to preach yet? And I said, you know, there's one subject that I've not preached that if I look back on CLC, uh, there is one subject that people might say, Pastor Stan never told us about this. And I've preached some pretty uphill messages. I have gone where angels fear to tread. As one friend of mine, uh, Adam Demetrician, said, you know, you're never afraid to poke the bear. Um, And if the bear needs poking, we will do that. Uh, But this, I said, you know, the problem with this series that I feel like that should not be left unsaid is that it's kind of a buzzkill kind of a feeling. And they said, well, what is it? And as I explained it to them, they go, no, you need to preach it. So for the next three weeks, we're going to preach a series. I do have a, a, a sermon titling disability. I just can't title them well. Like when we preached the Bible and we preached on Leviticus, you know what the series was called? Leviticus. (laughs) Leviticus. <laughs> so, uh, and so uh, we decided to name it No Pain, No Gain. And the subtitle would be How to Suffer Well for Christ. And so the first week we'll look at the pain that all of us go through. Life has painful times, painful things, physical, emotional, financial, relational, whatever. And how to suffer well. Far too many Christians turn their suffering into a reason to be disillusioned, discouraged. Where is God? Instead of using suffering to draw near to him. But then the other two weeks are uh, what I get for preaching over 32 years. Every couple of years, I'll preach an end time series because Jesus said a lot about him coming back and what things are going to look like when he came back so we know how to interpret the signs of the times. And I don't know if the growing clouds on the horizon of society are going to pass or if they are the beginning of uh, things pointing to the return of Christ. But Bible prophecy is being fulfilled on a regular basis. I don't care what news outlet you watch. And as we look at getting closer and closer to the promise fulfilled of the return of Christ, we also know that during that time, persecution of Christians is going to rise, and suffering for Christ's sake will be literal. And so I don't want that to happen years from now, and I don't want you to ever say, you know, Pastor Stan never told us about this. So the next three weeks, join us for that series, No Pain, No Gain. And uh, with that said, let's jump into now closing out make a good decision to make the decision good. And for some of you, uh, you're needing to make a decision, and I'm going to push you today, make it. Some of you made a decision, but you've not been making it good, and I want to push you to be intentional. Okay, I need to now take the steps to make the decision good. And when it comes to decisions in life, some of you have been deeply hurt in your past, and you are still carrying the baggage and the implications of it. It affects relationships, decisions, your self-concept, whatever. Uh, Some of you uh, are in habits, whether they are relational habits, whether they are habits a la addictions, and and they are bondage to your life. 
Maybe they're secret, or maybe you think they're secret, or maybe they're a source of shame for you, but you've got habits, and you're not going to be able to make good decisions and make them good trying to carry that around. And some of you have got hang-ups, just things that you know you should be over by now, and you're not. And so one of the great things people have been making a good decision and making it good is I'm going to get over that stuff. I'm going to heal from my hurts. I'm going to get God's help to break the bondage of habits, and I'm going to work through the hang-ups I have. It's called Celebrate Recovery. We launched it back in January, Pastor Shane and his team, and scores of people are coming to that and giving us loads of great response. And some of you here today need to say, okay, I've decided I want to get past that stuff in my life. I need to make the decision good. Because how many of you have good intentions that didn't happen? You intended to lose weight, save money, do this, do that, right? All right, this crosses the line of good intention to change. Watch this as a testimonial. My name is Greg. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what's happened to me here at CLC uh, via the uh, Celebrate Recovery program that I'm a part of. Um, I first heard about CR back in, I believe it was uh, December. I was baptized on December 2nd, actually, at another church, and I, and I wanted to build on that excitement that I had. And so what I decided to do was look for a CR project uh, in the area. Uh, my little sister had recommended I do that as well, as she has been through the program. And I met Ken Roberts, and I'll tell you, I was brought here by God, but Ken pushed me in. And I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. He did it with the utmost respect and thought. Uh, he was seriously concerned about me. I, I mean, I just felt that compassion that he had, that, that empathy was, you just don't find that from people out on the street because people are so protective of themselves. So I went into CR as did uh, everybody else in our group. And, you know, here we are uh, seven or eight weeks later, we started uh, January, I think the 24th. Um, I've seen amazing progress with, with some of my, my friends, my colleagues in uh, CR and, and the recoveries they're making and the things that they bring up are astounding. We're talking about life-changing issues both good and both bad, because most people have both in their lives at some point. And, and the miracle that I seek is going to be the miracle that's presented to me when every one of us graduate from that program. Thank you. And if you have been debating, say yes, stop by the VIP room. Literally, you want to be part of Celebrate Recovery. It means Monday nights here at CLC. All right, as we talk about making good decisions in relationships, let's look at the circles of relationship. This is no, by no means the only way to describe them, but you have your inner circle, all right? And that would be, if you're married, your spouse, it would be your close friends. And I would suggest that these are people that you have chosen to have here, okay? So this has been a choice. The next circle, uh, and again, we could sort of belabor it, debate it, whatever, but the next circle, would you say relatives? You don't really get to pick your relatives, do you? He didn't say, I'll take you as a cousin and you as a sister and you as a grandpa. No. Relatives, you're just kind of born into that, all right? Now, when you get married, you do kind of, you marry their family, so you do pick your in-laws in some way, kind of indirectly, but some of you are like, man, when I married her or him, I had no idea I was getting them too. But anyways, so you got your relatives, okay? Then beyond relatives, uh, we have friends, say friends and acquaintances, All right, so you have friends and acquaintances, and we, we choose them to varying degrees. And then uh, the next level, I would say, are 
say formal and functional. All right, so, you know, you, these are people, and there's a, some degree of choice, but that would be like your boss. Uh, that might be a coworker. That might be someone that uh, is a fellow classmate. So you may or may not have choice in who those people are. It can also be people who provide certain services for you, whatnot. And then let's just put out here, say, cordial strangers. I do my part, you do yours. Come on, all right, cordial strangers, there we go. And cordial strangers. And uh, the reason why I call that cordial strangers, and when I've done marriage counseling with couples before, when they're at a really bad place, and most of us who've been married have been in that really bad place at one time or another, I will say to them, you know what, I want you to go for two weeks, and I want you to treat each other like strangers. Right? Because for the most part, uh, you know, when I went to UDF and uh, treated myself uh, to ice cream this week, because I was a good boy, no, um, <laughs> I was friendly. Yeah, boy, the weather's great. Chit-chatting. Okay, I don't know that person from Adam or Eve, but what you're cordial, cordial strangers. You go through the line, whatever, right? They wait on you at the restaurant. And, and, and we are way more cordial to people that we know nothing about than sometimes we are the people that we live with, we pledged our life to, uh, that are our family. And so uh, cordial strangers. But we, we definitely choose uh, our inner circle we choose some of our friends and acquaintances. We choose some. Uh, you, you might eh, sort of choose a boss. Maybe you should apply, whatever. You choose certain people in your life. But some of these we have a choice in. Some we don't have a choice in. And I find that relationships, uh, the closer you are to the center, the more rewarding they are. I haven't met a cordial stranger. I'm like, man, you just changed my life. I don't know how to get along without you. No, they're a stranger, right? They're superficial. The closer I get to the center, the more rewarding they are or can be. The closer I get to the center, the more long-lasting they are. The closer I get to the center, um, the more work they are. Can I hear an amen? And the closer I get to the center, the more risk they bring. Out here... There ain't anybody working at Walmart that is going to wound me for the rest of my life emotionally. They're just not. I don't care how they treat me. All right? I'm going to blow it off and go, man, I don't know how they're going to get their job. But boy, someone who has my name or is supposed to be a close friend or whatever, or whatever they are, boy, you can get wounds and disappointments and heartache. I mean, the risk goes up as you get here, but the reward goes up as you get here as well. And the amount of work goes up as you get here. And if you're like, oh, well, I don't think so. I think I work about the same everywhere. Then you've got problems as you get to here, whether you know it or not, all right? So let's talk about uh, making good relational decisions and then making them good. And we have to sort of lay the groundwork. First of all, God expects you to decide to value others. One of our aspects of our, of our mission statement. I want to read for you three passages uh, almost one right after the other to kind of show you God's expectation of the, what he wants you to decide when it comes to relationships. The first per, uh, verse will be from uh, Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, they asked him, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, the first one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, uh, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor. Say, love my neighbor. 
as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And Jesus kind of qualified and explained, neighbor doesn't, doesn't just mean next door. It means the person you come in contact with and the needs that they might have. All right, so we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Love God, love your neighbor. That's the command. Jesus then raises the bar. He's good at raising the bar, like it or not, at what kind of love we should have for people. John 13, 34, and 35. Notice it is not an option. It's not, a, it's not a, 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 if you want to or not. He says, a new commandment I give to you. So you will choose this. You will make this decision and then make it good. Here's the new commandment, that you love one another Here's raising the bar, even as I have loved you. Man, don't you wish he told us to love each other like maybe like Simon Peter loved people or whatever? I mean, raise, love them like I love you. Don't you wish he said love them like you love you? That'd still be easier. As I have loved you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you go to church regularly, if you pack meals, if you give money, no, if you have love for one another and he raises the bar, it's a command, and he raises the bar, love them like I do, and then he really raises the bar to an almost annoying level in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for if you love those who love you, let's say family and friends, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Tax collectors and Gentiles was kind of a, a theme for just the riffraff scum of the earth. Ungodly people. So I'm sorry if you have a mug that says world's best dad or world's greatest grandma on your T-shirt, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Jesus says, big deal. Lost people, ungodly people, love their kids, go to their grandkids' games, are kind to each other. He says, what's the big, if you give it to those who give it back, so what? I came to love people who didn't love me back. I came to love people who didn't deserve it. I came to love people who didn't understand. I love them anyway, and I want you to love them the same way. The Bible's definition of love helps us set our expectations. Remember when we started out, we talked about the expectations line, and we talked about the experience line. Do you remember that? Give me a yes or no, or go back over it again. Okay. So this is your, your ideal. This is your real. Okay? And the bigger this gap is, the more unhappy you are. You expected the raised Prince Charming who was perfect in every way and knew your every whim and need and thought, and you found out he wasn't quite there, all right? And so, wow, your experience is down here, and the bigger that gap, the more unhappy. You expected parenthood to be nothing but rainbows and butterflies and happiness. You didn't expect what you experienced in some of the struggles and the 3 a.m.s and the colic and, and as that child grew. And so, whoa, you expected the job to be amazing. God answered prayer. And then while you work with imperfect people, whatever it is, the bigger that gap, the more our, our frustration. Well, knowing that you are called to love people like Jesus did, knowing that you're called to love people who won't give it back, who don't return it, knowing that you're called to raise that standard, the Bible is helping you with the expectations experience gap. Look at how it defines love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
In fact, let's read this out loud. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Keep going. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bring it strong now. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So as you leave here determined to make a good decision to love people in your life, whether they are your inner circle, your relatives, friends, acquaintances, formal, functional, or cordial strangers, the Bible says, okay, first of all, with your expectations of people, lower them, because the first two things it says is love is patient. You know why love's got to be patient? Because by golly, every person in every circle is going to test your patience at one time or another. Can I get an amen? amen? Love is kind. Love is not easily provoked because sometimes these people are going to get on your last nerve. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score. Or I'm caring more than you are. Or I'm giving more than you are. Or you said this and you did that. And remember that? And love does not do that. So, so the Bible helps us lower expectations. I'm loving very imperfect people in every circle. But it's not just them. Would you repeat this phrase that I kind of coined years ago as I realized this? Would you say, we've all got our junk? Turn your, neighbor, turn your neighbor and say, that means me and you. Tell your neighbor. We all got our junk. There is not a perfect person born on the planet but Jesus himself. We are all fallen, and we all got our junk. And so I realize I need grace, and so if I need grace, I can give grace. I'm not telling you to do this, but, you know, sometimes people have an appointment with me, and they will miss it for some reason, and they're, like, freaking out, like, oh, I'm so sorry I missed my appointment. Well, you know what? It's not like I didn't have something else to do, and I occasionally mess up an appointment and miss one, and so I can give you grace because I need grace. So we all got our junk. And so learn to have proper expectations in loving people. It's not always going to go right in any of these circles. Love them anyway. Because it's not going to always go right for them loving you in these circles. Pray they love you anyway. And then realize this, that God decided to make us relational beings in his image. In Genesis chapter 2, shortly after creating Adam, uh, God says in verse 18, God, then the Lord God said, it is not good. Say it's not good. Not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. We're creating God's image. God is a relational being. That's in all of us. The, the worst punishment we can think of in civilized society is solitary confinement. Why? Because God made me a relational being. As such, uh, Proverbs 4.23, here's some guidelines, being a relational being. Proverbs 4.23, first of all, says... Oh, I'm sorry. These are on the screen. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs 4.23. I told the team, I'll do those on, on my own. It says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow springs of life. Watch over your heart. Another version says, guard your heart. Say, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of diligence. One of my, my mentors used to say, it would be nice if everybody loved me, but it's not necessary. It'd be nice if everybody loved you, 
would you just say it's not going to happen? Say it. It's not going to happen. If you can't say it, you're setting yourself up for an expectations difficulty. It'd be nice if everybody loved what I did, what I said, what I thought, what I decided, how I live, how I treat them, how I treat them. It would be nice if they loved that. But you know what? It's not necessary. And I have to guard my heart because how many of you know some people that are never going to approve? And they'll put you on a treadmill of disapproval for the rest of your life. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 I just read it. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. You need to love yourself first. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to do real good loving this way. Because if I feel like I don't give any grace, I'm not going to give you grace. Well, if, if, I, if I don't feel my sense of worth, I'm not, not going to see it in you and put you up here and have me down here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um... Michael Todd, in his book about relationship goals, uh, quoted a song by a, a pop artist, Anhalia, and it's called Ugly, and it's an acronym. The U-G-L-Y stands for you got to love yourself. If you're going to love other people, if you're really going to make a decision to love people and then make that decision good, you have to start with God, help me to see myself in loving, affirming, valued ways. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to motivate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, not stop being church, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other all the day as you see the day drawing near. We are to be an encouraging, in-process kind of people, and as believers... Shoot for progress in a relationship, not perfection. Newsflash, you are never going to be the perfect mom, the perfect dad, no matter what the mug says. You're not going to have a perfect marriage, perfect employee, perfect boss, perfect whatever, but you can work for progress. You can gain progress, not quite perfection. So aim for that. And then when you do get to choose, choose wisely. I talked about the fact that many of these relationships, uh, you don't choose your relatives, you don't choose cordial strangers. Some of these functional and formal, you didn't necessarily choose. You didn't choose classmates. You didn't choose your neighbors for the most part. They just, you see the for sale sign go up, right? And you pray, oh God, please give us good neighbors. And then you see what happened. So a lot of your relationships you don't choose, but the ones you do choose, choose wisely. Let's look at just a few of them. First of all, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. They're asking Jesus about marriage and divorce. When can you divorce? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So God said he'd make mankind in his image. Male and female created he them. Contrary to popular foolishness, you do not choose your gender. God already made you male or female in your mother's womb. You were born that way. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother... That's a good one, guys, all right? Be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So would you repeat after me, married for life? That's how God sees it. There are two exceptions in which you would be allowed to leave that marriage. If there was a lifestyle of adultery, he's talking about right here in Matthew 
And Paul talks about a spiritual desertion. If you're married to someone and they say, well, because of your faith as a Christian, I don't want to be your spouse anymore. I am leaving. Paul says you're allowed to let them leave. You're not under bondage in that marriage. That's the only two biblically defensible reasons for divorce and remarriage. And nowhere in Scripture is irreconcilable differences. That's why the marriage vows are, do you pledge to take them for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, better, for worse, forsaking all others, keep you only unto them so long as you both shall live? It's till death do we part. So choose wisely. Get mentoring and counseling going into that relationship. Take marriage assessments, relationship assessments. There's all kinds of things to make a, a reduce the risk and make a better decision. In your family, in this relationship sphere, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That's the promise. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Cultivate. You may not be able to choose who your parents are, who your kids actually are when they came out, all right? But cultivate Honoring healthy relationships in your home. Honor your parents. It's God's plan. Value your children. Don't idealize them. Value your children. Raise them up with discipline, with love and instruction, and show them they're a cherished part of the family and part of God's plan. But you, you cannot choose who's born to you. You cannot choose who you're born to, but you can choose the quality relationship and the relational climate in the home you share. And then uh, the third area of choosing wisely, I read two verses for you. Proverbs 25, 11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Man, when somebody says the right thing at the right time, it's like, ah. It's not always, at a boy, at a girl. Sometimes it's, you know what, you really blew it. Maybe, maybe this will help you better, and, and I'm, I'm for you, but you can, you can do better than that. Sometimes it's, hey, let me give you some advice. Let me give you a word of wisdom. But, the, you know, hey, you're doing all right. You've come a long way. Apples of gold and stains of silver is the right word at the right time. And the other verse, Proverbs 27, 17, is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. People that help you become all that you can be. Choose life-giving people when you choose those close to you. Choose people that are going to help you grow. They're going to speak to your potential. Choose people that, boy, there are some people when you're around them, don't you feel like they're just like the shop back of the soul? <sighs> just sucking it right out of you. Now, we, because we don't choose all these people, there are some shop backs in here, amen? How many of you got one or two? All right. By all means, in, in this circle here and in this circle here, choose people that are life-giving to help balance out and also to help you become more. So finally, let's talk about relationships and situations that aren't so good. I want to talk about difficult times three. I want to talk briefly about difficult people, difficult relationships, and difficult decisions that sometimes need to be make, made. I want to use as a verse to kind of lay the foundation Romans chapter 12, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If you're in a tit for tat, boom, boom, well, you do this, I do this. If you justify the way you treat them badly because of the way they treat you badly, you're out of step. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. Here's the verse. If possible, say if possible. 
So far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone, with all men. Now, if they're a peaceable, reasonable, prayerful, kind-hearted, well-intentioned person, learn to get along with them. Learn to solve your differences. Learn reconciliation. But there are some people that no matter what you do, they won't have it. They've got an agenda. They've got an attitude. They've got preconceived ideas. They've got whatever kinds of experience that they bring to that, and they're biased in that, whatever, and, and they just won't be at peace with you or whoever then that may call for a different action. And uh, in that realm, uh, I want to reference a couple of books. Uh, one of them uh, is called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And he uses uh, the book of Proverbs as sort of a framework of the different kinds of people that are in your life and the different responses that those people merit. He talks about wise people, foolish people or simple people and evil people. And Proverbs references this. When it comes to wise people, he says, talk to them, give them resources, and you'll get a return. Likewise, wise people, listen to them, see what value they're trying to add to you and respond to that, and you'll get a return. And hopefully, we all have wise people in our life. They're, they're those friends that are really good for you. They're coworkers, they're mentors, they're family members, whatever. And wow, when you're with them, you know, they're here to, to listen, to receive, to exchange, to whatever, and maximize those relationships with wise people. They know they don't have it all together. They know you don't have it all together, but we're going to grow together, and I believe in you, and vice versa. Then he talks about foolish people. Foolish people are the ones that you will never satisfy. Foolish people are those people, and they are often, and again, they're, they're often in this level or this level, maybe this level, and they're always asking, there's always a reason why you should help them out or why you're wrong and they're right or whatever, and they, they're just never, and it seems like no matter what you do, it never really helps move things forward. We talk about when we try to help them, we are enabling them because they really don't want help. They just want you to reinforce their current lifestyle and worldview and mistakes and all that. Henry Cloud says when it comes to foolish people, stop talking to them about their problems. They're not listening. I want to ask for a show of hands, but some of you have people like that. They're not really listening to you for a solution. They certainly don't want any feedback from you that will point to them having responsibility. And so he says, stop talking to them. They're not listening. And stop supplying resources. They squander them. And I don't know what parent or grandparent this is for, but some of you, God only knows when you're going to realize that you are not bailing them out and helping them out. You're just enabling their situation to continue. And he says, instead, give them limits and consequences. I care about you, but the next time you do this, I'm going to do this. I care about you. I'm willing to help here, but if you don't do this, I'll not do this. People who are foolish need some consequence and tough love. The third group Henry Cloud talks about, evil people. He quotes Warren Zevon's song, probably back in the 80s or 90s. Uh, he had this song called Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Because uh, when you deal with evil people, you have to go into protection mode, not helping mode, because they're out for no good. 
And so ask yourself, the people in your world, how many of them are wise? How many of them are foolish? Are there any evil that are there? And ask God for wisdom on how to conduct yourself. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a sermon series. Uh, I wrote a book called Unstuck. In fact, this series we're in now was supposed to be a, a sermon book, Make Good Decision, Make Decision Good, and I just couldn't get the time this past year, so I thought, okay, I'm going to preach it. So I made the decision as good as I could, and I preached it, and there's just no book to go with it. But anyways, you're taking good notes. Um, but in Unstuck, it was in your thoughts, your relationships, and from bad habits and from your past. You can still get this on Amazon. Some of you are stuck in relationships, and... Uh, in part, it's because you have to have some healthy boundaries and you have to realize that there's responsibility that I have and that you have in the relationship. And some people, one of the illustrations was, you know, I, I need to own what's mine. I need to own my emotions, my interpretations, my reactions, my responsibility. And in a relationship, I need to own mine. You need to own yours, your emotions, your responsibility, your reaction, your behavior, your you need to own that, I need to own mine. Manipulative people, often foolish people, they, me, they want me to own mine and theirs. And in that series, remember we talked about mine, not mine. Mine, not mine. And some people want to manipulate you that if they don't feel happy or they're sad or they're depressed or whatever, well, somehow you're to blame for that. Usually, no, it's not. They're just asking you to carry more than what is actually yours. So have some healthy sense of boundaries. And, uh, you know, Henry Cloud, in his book, Nine Things You Simply Must Do, he preferences, for instance, Proverbs 19, 19, that says, do not rescue an angry man lest you have to do it again tomorrow. In other words, if you give in once to their anger, get ready to do it again the next time and again and again. There are some people who will manipulate you to get what they want from you with their emotions. Whether it's their anger or they're depressed and if you don't save me, I'm going to be more depressed. I had a friend years ago that, you know, you'd hide, oh, doing okay. And then they try to manipulate you to go along with where they wanted. If they didn't, well, I figure you wouldn't either. And they just tossed you on the pile of disappointments in life. Some of you are manipulated by somebody else's. They, they make you feel guilty or they make you fear payback or disapproval or you respond to them out of fear. Ask yourself, how healthy are the emotions I have in wanting to respond to this person and relate to this person? Because if you have unhealthy emotions in your response motivating you, you're probably not really helping them. What would be a healthy response to relate to them with and if they'll accept that, fine. If not, uh, you might have to reconsider. And uh, he basically says, ask yourself what's the right thing to do with people and then anticipate how they'll react to that and do the right thing. And when you have unhealthy people and unhealthy symptoms and you're in a relationship that you know is not good for you, now, I would give the exception, unless it's the two reasons of marriage, marriage is till death do we part. Um, but there are times when in, in the book, obviously, that there are necessary endings. At the very least, there are, well, I'm always going to be there, fill in the blank family member. Yeah, that's always my son, my dad, my mom, my daughter, whatever. There are at least times you need to stop feeling hopeful about it and just wait and see because you think if you just do this, then they'll, if you just do this, then they'll, if you just do this, and you're really just re, you're enabling them. So it may be that you just 
I still love them, I still care about them, but I'm going to I'm going to stop. I'm going to end my dysfunction there. There are some relationships that are toxic. Some of you that are single or dating somebody, you know they're not good for you. You know the relationship doesn't honor God and you need to end it. There are some of you in a work relationship that is so toxic, you need to take the leap of faith and, and ask God for the next direction and get out of it. There are some of you with necessary endings need to happen in your work world and maybe you're responsible for it. I mean, I don't know, but necessary endings are a part of it. Not every relationship is till death do us part and, and, and we need to be wise in how we steward our emotional, relational energy and occasionally if toxic ones can't be fixed, ask ourselves if God wants us to keep being the receiving of that toxicity or at the very least, how do I insulate myself and have proper protection? And so as I talk that through, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of an inventory on the relationships that you have in your life. As we kind of bring this message to a close, I'm going to ask Juan to join me on the platform. And not just making a good decision. Some of you are at a place where as I'm talking, you realize you need to make healthier decisions with your spouse. And they may not agree to make, they might be tense enough, they're not in the mood to, do, to agree with you, so fine then you be half the relationship that makes a healthy decision until the rest of it comes around. Some of you as I'm talking know that you need to, to decide to respond and relate to, to parents or siblings differently or sons and daughters. Some of you need to make a decision about how you're treating relatives or maybe about healthy boundaries you need to have with relatives. Some of you need to learn how to forgive deeper or give more grace or be more of an encourager or be more of an iron sharpener or speak the truth in love. Boy, it's a lost art nowadays. Some of you as you go through these circles have got names and faces and people that you realize, I can make a better decision on how I relate to them. So that I'm one of the people that they smile about in their life and say, I'm thankful for, and your name is at the end of the sentence. Make the decision. Push aside excuses. Push aside guilt and apprehension. And then make the decision good. Some of you during these last many weeks, you've made a spiritual decision to follow Christ, but you're not maximizing that. It's time to start to take intentional steps to make the decision Some of you, maybe in your career or your educational goals or your finances, God's speaking to you about being that generous, obedient person. God's speaking to you about your career or, or taking new steps or going new directions or just stepping up your game and don't cop everybody else's attitude toward the workplace because after all, you serve Jesus, not whoever everybody thinks the boss is. I could go on down the line on decisions God cares about your decisions. He's involved in them. We're defined by them. I'm asking you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask a simple question across this room. If you're here and you'd say one or two things, God is stirring in my heart about a decision or decisions I need to make or decisions I've made that I need to make good. Would you raise your hand? I've made them. I need to make them good. 
I'm going to ask you as heads are bowed just to stand right where you are. I'm going to take a stand for the right decision and making it good. Just stand. There's something freeing about acknowledging. There's something freeing about letting it hit the air. Not just some personal thought or, or resolution, but I am going to stand for this. I'm, I'm going to trust God in this. And now before I pray, would you just whisper a prayer and tell God why you're standing. God, I'm standing because I feel convicted, I feel moved about, and feel it. just tell him. And it's obvious we don't know all the solutions, so God, you're going to have to teach me how to make the decision. You're going to have to teach me how to make the decision good. Go ahead and ask him for that. Tell him that. And Lord, on behalf of these brothers and sisters who are standing, I want to thank you. We thank you that you hear us, that you see the courage, you see the integrity of those who are standing right now, and they're saying, I'm not, I'm not going to stay where I was. I, I'm going to stand now for the right decisions and for making those decisions good with your help. No more excuses, no more fear, no more distraction. Lord, I pray that you would bless them right now with a sense of peace, right now with a sense of joyful anticipation. I'm honoring God. I wonder what God's going to do, how he's going to unfold his will in my life, in this relationship, in my job, in my education, in my finances, in my health, whatever the case might be, in my pursuit of ministry for him. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Tell him that. I thank you for what you're going to do. And we commit these decisions to you. And God, no doubt there's going to be uphill seasons. There's going to be difficult challenges and an uphill climb. I pray that you'll give them strength and give them greater ambition yet. And I pray that you'll help them to see the fruits of their labors and good things come to pass. And help them be surrounded by CLCers who continue to encourage them to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can all stand. Thanks for being here. This week, make good decisions and make them good. If you prayed and want some prayer, stop by your section leader. If you want to sign up for CR or if you're new here, stop by our VIP room. God bless you. Have a great week.